0: Welcome to Playhouse Gravity. This is Aaron. Sure is.
1: That's what? Huh? Huh? Yeah? Gotta keep going there. Hey, Aaron, how's that drive? Huh? The, the drive to Bloomington? Yeah. It was nice. We are on site at Upland Brewery, but we still don't know an important fact. I. Um,
0: uh, 9.8 meters per second what, squared. What's your name? That No, that's the gravitational constant. I understand.
1: It's Jason. Jason, fantastic. This is Aaron and Jason, and we are incredibly happy to be here uh, at Upland Brewery. I want to thank Pete and Patrick for uh, hosting us here at the the woodshop. Uh, so there's, uh, it's aptly named. There are many, many barrels uh, that we'll probably talk about. Very uh, many barrels. In two weeks when we talk to Eli their Sour Brewer, along with, uh, with Pete again. Uh, but today we're here with Pete and Patrick talking about the Clean Side Brewing uh, at Upland. Pete and Patrick, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. That was Pete, then Patrick, for those of you who keep a score at home. Uh, so uh, we, we always start the show. Uh, this is Champagne Velvet. We always start the show by drinking a beer. So you can tell us a little bit about this beer. Yeah. So this is
3: a beer we've been brewing for the last uh, about five years now, five, six years. Um, it's a historic Indiana brand that we brought back for our 15th anniversary in back in 2013. It was originally brewed by the Terre Haute Brewing Company, okay. and our recipe goes back to the... Uh, 1900 version um so when we got the uh, rights to the champagne velvet name we also inherited a handwritten note from a brewer's notebook that included uh the foundation of the champagne velvet recipe and that's the same notepad that we used to reconstruct this recipe uh Nice. Yeah, six years ago.
1: It's very clean. I feel like. Do you guys feel like you're ahead of the game on the uh, on the on the, the style of beer being back sort of uh, big with craft brewers?
3: It definitely is coming back. Um, yeah, at the time, our thought process was uh, we were celebrating 15 years of Upland Brewing, but rather than kind of like look internally at ourselves, we did want to kind of look broader at Indiana brewing heritage. And this is one of the more popular brands um, that's ever come out of Indiana, so um, that's where our head was. But now it is fun to see. Uh, the trend catching on, and some uh, some great lagers uh, all over the well, brewing scene.
1: I feel like what happens is the hopheads realize that they like beer every day, all <laughs> the right, day, yeah. and they can't just keep drinking. Exactly, yeah. Days? So yeah, it's, uh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a confessed hophead, but well, absolutely, yeah. But, but every now and again, it's nice to relax. And this isn't like devoid of hops. This still has some nice bitterness. to Right. Write. Yeah.
3: There's um, I mean, 29 IBUs in there. A good mixture of a uh, cluster hops at the start of the boil, and then some German tradi- um German tetanag in our whirlpool to. Yeah, it does have a full uh, noble hop character in it.
1: Was the original recipe, did it also have the, the noble character too? So actually
3: the hops are one part that was missing from the handwritten note. So that okay. took some uh, research to dig into uh, brewing textbooks that were available in the 1900s. Um, and they referenced um, hops that would be um, more premium quality hops uh, added late in the boil. You're importing German hops at the time, so you're right. not going to boil them all off at the start. So we kind of inferred from the brewing textbooks about adding a classic American hop cluster at the start of the boil, and um, a more traditional German noble hop at the end of the boil because they'd be paying the premium to ship them from Germany. So they would add them later. So don't want to boil off all that flavor, yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's 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 really good. I think I think. This is uh listening to the show will know this is among my favorite styles of beer to drink, especially if you get the, the, the noble hops in there. It's it's fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. Well so when did this originally go out of production? When did Terra Hode was that so it prohibition? Went in and out.
3: So we we refer to this as a pre prohibition lager. Okay. Um that's what the recipe uh, is based off of is the pre prohibition recipe. After prohibition, uh, that's when the the brand was still brewed um, in the thirties, forties, fifties. And it became one of the biggest beers in the country. They were brewing hundreds of thousands of barrels of this. It was being shipped in several states. It was huge in the southeast uh, United States. Um, but at that time, that's when the whole industry was experiencing consolidation. and yeah. Kind of uh, the homegrown local character of the beer was declining as uh, the whole industry was consolidating. So the brand has existed both before and after Prohibition. But uh, before Prohibition is when it was, really was a local Indiana beer.
1: Right. And is this a, a four-ingredient beer, or do you guys have other stuff in?
3: Uh, so um, there is corn in there as okay. an adjunct, and uh, that is a nod to the historical recipe.
0: It is Indiana. It Not is really. Indiana, exactly,
3: yeah. <laughs> and um, it is something we take pride in also. We don't view corn as a dirty word in this beer. Um, it's what the German brewers would have been using right. to uh, recreate uh, European lagers, because um, American barley was all six-row at the time, so it was higher in protein, and they used the corn to uh, dilute the protein levels, not to dilute the flavor or um, minimize the cost. It was a uh, it was a featured part of the beer because of uh, the reality of American barley at the time.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, I think uh, this kind of it's also just it's incredibly drinkable. For, so thanks for sharing. us a, uh a nice big pour of it. That's Absolutely, nice yeah. So um, you have Champagne Velvet. It has a nice bit of Indiana history. Let's talk about, like, the Upland history. Right now we're sitting in a room full of wooden barrels, and I'm guessing this sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. So how, wh- wh- what can you tell the story of Upland?
2: Yeah, so um, Upland was founded in 1998, so we've been around a little over 20 years now, celebrated our 20th last year. And, um, you know, we've... We've primarily just been selling beer in Indiana. Right. Uh, it wasn't really until the last couple of years when we started shipping a little bit more of our beer outside of Indiana. Um, but we started out here in Bloomington in our, our small brew pub. Um, we have a 37-barrel uh, brew house here, which is nice. an interesting size. Uh, but it's kind of a little bit of a Frankenstein brew house. But we still use that brew house today. Okay. Um, In 2012, we expanded production and we have another brewery on the west side. Sure. So when we did that, this brewery that stayed here at the pub, we now use as a fully dedicated brew house for the wood shop. For the wood shop, okay. Yeah. Um, So now, you know, we make uh, what we call clean beers at our production facility. We're making probably 30 or 40 different Mm -hmm. kinds of beers a year there. Um, And in 2006 is when we started making wood-aged sour beer and uh, we were really one of the early adopters of that um there weren't a lot of uh lambic style sour sour wood aged beers in 06 right. and so um we were really um we it's kind of a really nice story we were we very close friends with the oliver winery up the road okay. here mm-hmm. and so um at the time we had traded some cases of, of beer for a couple of barrels to start experimenting with barrel aging and uh the this lambic style was something that um, you know our brewer at the time was just really fascinated by. I had tried some of the, that beer when he was in brewing school and wanted to try to emulate uh, a lambic style. So we do a different type of mashing method. We really tried to uh, adhere to what um, the tra- as traditional methods as we could with the equipment that we had, and uh, started making some really good stuff. So adding lots of whole fruits and uh, like raspberries, blueberries, uh, that's, those sorts of things, and became very very popular. Um, and in 2015 is when we decided we're going to, you know, invest in uh, growing or expanding the program. Sure. So up until about um, 2000 and uh, 2015, it was maybe only two or three hundred barrels of production a year, um, and now we're able to do over a thousand here with uh, with the new space. Right. So um, it's a
1: thousand barrels combined between the two shops. Or um,
2: no. So this is just the sour brewery. Um, the other brewery. The reason why we moved yeah. uh, in 2012. Um, that's really when um, I came into the company I believe Patrick was in 2012 as well well, Um, kind of growing team was growing Um, uh, at our original brew pub you know we were probably around 10,000 barrels uh, bursting through the roof literally Uh, could not keep up with uh, our main flagship beers Dragonfly IPA Mm -hmm. Wheat Ale Wheat Ale ale was uh, probably 80% of our production at that point and we couldn't really do a lot of innovation either because we just needed to keep up with our core beers so invested in Uh, the larger space on the west side and that gave us the ability to get some capacity back start to innovate more um, and we started brewing our side trail series and started doing more seasonals and and that sort of thing so uh, we were able to really improve quality improve our innovation with the new space um, and then once we kind of got that up and running uh, we came back over here to really start to work on our sour program
1: so how big is the how big is the brew house over there
2: uh, it's actually another 37-barrel brew 37
1: is, uh, yeah, is yeah, the uh, number.
2: Yeah, so we had tanks. Basically, we moved all the tanks from this facility. Okay to the other facility and so that was part of the thought process you know we brew up from one to four brews per day okay and so we wow. had a lot of tanks that were fit for that same size so we just kept adding on to well that. you don't have
1: to adjust your recipes or scale up you yeah know, that helped you know a how lot to make 37 yeah. barrels yeah right. yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
3: the biggest change is we went from a two vessel brew house to a three vessel so we s- main difference is we separated out the whirlpool so we can brew more in a day but same batch size every time hmm
1: so how many? We've we've interviewed some professional brewers before, but but mostly smaller uh, smaller folks. that haven't been to, to folks who are who are turning thirty seven barrels a couple of times a day. So how many brewers does it take to get that to make that happen in two in two different spaces?
2: Well, usually we have about two brewers per shift, okay. and um, we need uh, one guy actually operating the brew house, okay. and running and making making wort. Another one that's helping with mashing out. Um, so our both of our brew houses are very manual still. So we sure. we you know Patrick Zach Matt. Um, Charlie, they're actually hand um, operating the entire brew house. Wow. So we had a lot of control. We know exactly when things are going right, exactly when things are going wrong. Um, and so we had, we, if for a four brew day, for example, we're starting at 5 a.m. and we're going through till about 1, 2 a.m., 2 in the morning. So not quite 24 hours, but to brew four four brews, it's four to five guys rotating in and um, uh, almost, I'm going to say, 22 hours or so.
3: Yeah. And that's so, something we're doing about one to three times a week.
1: Okay. Those long yeah. brew days. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you have a, do you have a favorite shift? Are you here in the morning or the,
3: um, I like, uh, I have a late morning right now, which is working out great. Cause I'm not there 5am, but, um, I have a, I have a consistent eight to four shift, which is pretty nice. But, um, yeah, we've all been there with the morning shifts, the night shifts, and, uh,
1: so when you get in like mid morning, is it is it is it some champagne velvet or a cup of Joe or what keeps you going there? It always
3: starts with a cup of Joe, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Roll yeah. in eight
1: in the morning, right? You guys have a beer called Joe? We should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty fun. So the uh, you you guys have a lot of, like you have a lot of locations now. Not only where you, you make beer in two locations, it's growing to three locations, um, and then you have a, a, a lot of a lot of different tap rooms. Um, how? But you guys also, you know, I can buy your beer at Meijer. So, mm-hmm. what's the what's the split? How much of your beer is on the shelf, and how much do you sell it over the bar? Um, that's a good question. I, guess I didn't. I didn't warn them there were going to be math questions. No, <laughs> no. So,
2: so yeah, we actually we do. We have we have with seven locations, and those are all you know. That's including like our small tap room. They have in the, in the production brewery. We have a small tap room here at the wood shop, sure. our brew pub, and some small restaurants in Indy, um, Columbus. We have actually a good sized restaurant there. So yeah, we're probably you know 25% of what we're selling of all of our beer is at our own locations. Yeah. Huh? Um and then once you get out into the wholesale world, um I would say probably 70%, 70-80% is like packaged beer and then right. the rest is uh, draft or Drafted. on-premise uh draft
1: beer. So it's it's more it's more at Meyer than it is at a pub. Ye- Yes, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, and we sell a lot more uh, packaged, like bottles, cans. Well, right. starting to sell a lot more cans now. We have. We a, like have cans. That's canning. the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So is the canning new for you guys though?
2: It is. Yeah. It is. We invested and in, uh, put in a really nice can line last fall. Is that over uh, at the other spot? At the other yes. facility. Yep. And um, you know, we were doing mobile canning for a couple of years, and then cans just kept growing and growing and growing, mm-hmm. and we we decided to make the change and uh we're really thrilled um we're able to keep up with production uh, have a lot of capacity there now and uh yeah it's it's you know we like we prefer uh beer in cans and cans and we love bottles too but you know we're we're kind of making what is selling really well right now and i think a lot of craft brewers are converting to cans so it's it's a it's a, it's a good thing
0: are you to, are you in a position right now where you're bursting at the seams or is there still room to grow where you're at now
2: no it you know there's uh we can we have room to grow we, when okay. we expanded over at the other facility we we put that in place so that we wouldn't necessarily have to build another brewery uh, <laughs> anytime soon, right so we definitely have capacity uh, to grow, uh, but our tanks are all full so okay. you know we you know Patrick is doing the schedule over there, and we're always you know as soon as the tank's empty it's getting filled right back up um, and so with the number of beers that we make we're we're always uh we're pretty full, um, but we have the ability um, to drop in new tanks. Uh, literally, uh, we have a, a hole in the ceiling uh, that we will stand them up outside and drop them into the was cellar it, and shift yeah, them into place. Was that a requirement
0: of the location? was like, there has to be a giant hole in the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that was done
1: after the fact, oh, believe okay. it or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you can always put holes holes in the ceiling. So, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So I mean I, I think it's a really interesting shift to go from basically brewing all the dragonfly and wheat ale that you can to keep up with now being able to brew a, a ton of a ton of styles and different mm-hmm. things. So, uh, Patrick, how do you uh, how do you decide what gets into that lineup, uh, and and does that does the new stuff? ever end up in production quickly, or is it typically you know tested over the bar before it gets into production?
3: Right, yeah. So typically we're still brewing a lot of Dragonfly and wheat. and Champagne, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, that's still most of what we're doing is keeping up with uh, demand on those three core flagships. Mm-hmm. But um, we also do try to keep fresh, new, innovative beers coming out on a constant rotation. So um, about every month or two we'll release a side trail beer, which is our kind of experimental line. Sure. Uh, typically starts, or it had typically started draft only, but we've been packaging those more and more. Um, and some of those have, um, once they're, um, if they're popular, we'll, we'll brew them again and package them again. Um, that's how Juiced and Time started off as our first ever New England IPA. Sure. And um, that's developed a loyal following, so now we've made that a limited-release year-round beer. Um, in terms of innovation and trying out beers before we scale them up, uh, right now we have a Sabco little um, half-barrel keg system where we can brew five or ten gallons at a time. Hey, nice. And that's how every new recipe has been developed. Um, we only get five gallons of beer out of it, so it's a couple internal tastings. Um, but it's a good segue into our new uh, pilot brewery, which is opening up later this summer up in Fountain Square in uh, Indianapolis. And Then we'll be able to brew seven-barrel batches of some of these innovative beers and get some uh, public reaction to these beers before we decide to either scale them up or if um, the beauty of a pilot brewery also is that we can just get Really weird with it, and never intend to scale it up, but right. play around with seven barrels of beer instead of thirty-seven at a
1: time. Yeah, I imagine if you brew thirty-seven barrels of beer, it doesn't go well. It really doesn't. <laughs> right, yeah, go. yeah it's a, it's the,
2: we've we've had a couple of those where you know we were trying to get a little a little crazy, and sometimes right. you know we love it, and then we we love drinking it. We but we brewers, we can't. I guess we can't drink uh, all thirty-seven yeah, barrels. So of you beer. you <laughs> mentioned that
1: there were between four to five of you at each location. That's yeah. not that's, that's too many uh, no, barrels for. Oh, to so yeah. go back and forth.
2: Well, in terms of guys in the brew house, yeah. you know, our total staff uh, with product, with uh, packaging and the cellar, and everyone's probably closer to like eighteen or so. Yeah.
0: Uh, so this place in yeah. Fountain Square is just for experimental brewing. Like, um,
3: yeah, there'll be multi facets to it. It will have a seven barrel brew house. Okay. Um, I've kind of broken up what I want to do with it into like four or five categories, where some of it is. Pure experimentation, things we wouldn't want to brew thirty-seven barrels of, but yeah. do want to try out. Um, some of it is we've had we've brewed a lot of beers over our twenty-one years, and some of them we don't brew anymore, but we still have a demand for. But yeah. um, so we can bring. I'm looking back at some
0: you, Three Floyds, with your pride and joy. Right, yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly. Everyone's got that beer they want. They want the brewery to bring back, yeah. and we can do e- easily do seven barrels versus uh, full production batches. Um, as we work on new future releases, new seasonals, new specialty beers. Um, we can have slots where we try around a smaller batch. Um, and then we also want to have a barrel-aged focus up there also, We're just, um the bourbon barrels will be a big part of the display up there, and also we want to fill them with beer and have some nice strong barrel-aged so beers. So on down here in Bloomington, you have your
1: your barrel stuff. Uh, so you have your wood and your and your clean stuff separate. Are you are you gonna put some funky beers in those barrels up there? or are you gonna keep, are you gonna continue uh, to keep no. separate? no, no sours no. up there? Yeah, We're yeah, not we'll, planning to do any yeah. wild beer there. Yeah. Keep that as clean George
2: as we can. George Clinton, right. they do not want <laughs> no funk. funk no, out, yeah. that's <laughs> not mean, the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the plan. It's really keep it. Keep all of our wood wood aged beer that's uh, has any sort of mixed mixed fermentation here in the wood shop, and we we do have capacity here to keep growing, and, and we could do a single barrel or two barrels here. Right. We, we this place here is designed to be able to do very small quantities, so okay. we can do a single barrel, or do twenty cases, thirty cases, or something. Sure, uh, we can't do that at the other location. So um so yeah, we we're we're really just thinking uh, up there, clean barrel aging, um, and. You know, uh, one of our favorite beers we like to make is our our Teddy Bear Kisses, our Imperial Stout. Uh, We've had a lot of great feedback on all the different variations of that. So we'd probably be, you know, experimenting with that some more up there or any other, you know, uh, great base beers that we can barrel age.
4: uh, And
1: really being able to do smaller quantities so that we can experiment. Little uh, little though, in fact, uh, among the Plato's Gravity listeners, Teddy Bear Kisses was the the Aaron's nickname in college. (laughs) Uh, Teddy Bear Kisses was the, the the episode zero that we still haven't released. It was. Oh. We did, were, is we that, did we really? Yeah, we had Teddy Bear Kisses on on episode zero. God, that was so long. It was ago. so long ago. We but never released. it. We were like testing our equipment and like figuring oh. out what the hell we were going to do in yeah. this podcast. But so Teddy Bear Kisses. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. It was it was it was damn good. Yeah, we're it's gonna be coming out soon. So, so
2: it is it's uh, it's a couple months away, but we're getting there. So when 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 is the uh, the Fountain Square
0: location open?
2: So we're in really getting really close okay. uh in, in the next couple of weeks we'll start to do our soft openings and then grand openings like first week of uh august okay and brewing we, we still uh it'll take us a little while to get the brewing going and get some experimental beers flowing up there right um, but pr- shortly after that we should have some some beers coming out of there okay None yeah. of the barrel aged stuff. It'll be no. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> you, you can't just you just turn that out. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, but no, no. no. Needs you could.
1: You could do like the whiskey folks do and just buy someone else's wort <laughs> right? Yeah, and, or beer yeah. And, and soak it in there and then sell it under your brand if you want. I don't know. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. No, no.
4: We can wait a little while. So, good so
0: what are you like? What is the the of uh, the initial run? What is the most exciting thing that's going to come out of there for you? Not not for me because I don't. Know, I'm just excited about creative beer, right? From Fountain Square. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: think we have a list of about 50 different beers we want to brew. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the first couple will kind of be like learning our system. We're going to mm-hmm. start with a batch of the Upland Wheat recipe and the Dragonfly recipe, two things that we know um, pretty well, and yeah. just make sure we have the brew house the dialed in. in it, yeah. mm-hmm. And then after that, the uh, the rains come off, and uh, we're going to start with a pretty heavy uh, triple IPA. Um, our, our head of innovation, Matt Wisely, has got a recipe he's uh, he's been making to, to brew, so the triple IPA is going to be an exciting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I and personally then, love some
2: smoked beers I know Ooh, I have a smoked beer does, in the fermenter yeah. at
1: my house right nice. now ah, very yeah, good. So yeah, nice. Little, nice little Roush beer yeah and
2: Perfect, we're probably yeah. gonna go um, with a beer that we brewed a couple years ago um, that will be a barrel age so we'll Thanks. do a, a really nice triple IPA and then we're kind of start out relatively quickly with a beer we can put in barrels. Right. Um, so we're talking about a beer called Surreptitious, which uh, is a breakfast style with maple and some deliciousness mm. going on. Um, so we're thinking about that as well, kind of out of the gate. But um, as Patrick said, you know, we've got a handful of uh, really talented guys that have all kinds of great ideas, and it's going to be a fun list to curate uh, what we're releasing when. And we've got a, a ton of beers that are we call them like revival beers. We're going to bring them back, some of our old favorites. Um, so one that we keep talking about is our Komodo Dragonflyer Black IPA yeah. is one we've been really dying to brew again. Um, so that's probably somewhere in there in the fall winter time.
1: Yeah, and I, I think what's cool is it sounds like you guys take a lot of input from from your staff members. It's not just Patrick coming up with the recipes on his own. Uh, yeah, we're a right, right, yeah. highly collaborative
2: yeah. uh, highly collaborative brewing team. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I mean, uh, Patrick, are there things like like that you are like man like and I guess maybe there's a better question because I, I assume that in a brewery like this where you guys are doing a bunch of crazy stuff and then you're starting this new pilot stuff like i think different people are in excited by different things like does are you more kind of fulfilled by like making uh, wheat beer and dragonfly and and champagne velvet the exact same every fucking time or do you really get out of bed to to try the black ipas
3: I mean, I I do love brewing those flagships and, like, kind of meeting the same specs every time. Um, I know we have – some of our other brewers are more, like, they'll come in with a different idea every single day or something else to try. So I think we do complement each other well in that way where I kind of do get into my routines and like to follow them. And, uh, and then, yeah, I know we always have something uh, – something new cooking in either matt or zach's mind probably
1: so so if you had a brewer on your staff who was just like super creative and they're like man you know what i know this is going to be great i know it's gonna like h- h- what's the best way to get patrick to brew a beer
3: um i mean i'll let them brew the beer right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not going to take the fun from them they yeah, if, it's, if it's their idea
1: what's the best way to get patrick to buy the ingredients oh, I'm yeah. all about, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly
3: no i'm all about uh drinking these beers serving these beers and um letting um yeah, letting
2: these beers come to fruition. So it's not a hard sell. So to, is that
1: Zapco uh, like fair game for your staff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that that is that's definitely. That's, an open book, uh, that's anybody. That's yeah. you know oh, okay. Yeah.
2: That's anybody that wants to brew on there, it's always kind of an open invite. And we we love having even some if our retail staff wants to get in there, our marketing staff, anyone who wants to brew a beer with us, you know, it's it's an open door. But um but yeah, it's it's a, a highly collaborative uh, team. So sure. um when we're developing new ideas, I mean nothing is ever really shot down immediately. Um but it's uh for, this is why we really are really excited about fountain square is, is it is, it is tough to, to say, you know, go this wild and crazy idea and put it in, you know, 60 kegs or 70 kegs. Right. Um, so we'll have a lot, you know, a lot more flexibility to do small stuff. And uh, we're really hoping to get more, more of the stuff. So that's, that's one thing for that, that brewery up there. We're not planning to um, hire a bunch of uh, extra people to come up there. We want our own team on a kind of up there, be able to rotate brew. Um, if, if Zach has a recipe or if, if Brian has a recipe or Patrick, um, they can go up there and, and give it a shot. Um, so we have to get a lot of cross-training, make sure they know how to operate the brew house up there. Right. But um, that's part of, you know, I think our, our culture is so great. And Patrick kind of hit on that. You know, we've got a, a team that works so well together, and they really, really complement each other. Um, and I think that that goes to us being able to innovate so much but also keep consistency um, because that's that that is very difficult. Uh, it's very difficult to make. I mean, champagne velvet. You guys tried and tasted yeah. how mm-hmm. how light. Have and, finished uh, in fact. Oh, oh yes, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. have empty glasses. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. Fat. we're slacking over here. Um, but there, you know, there 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 can be no flaws uh, in this beer. Yeah. Um, and so, and this is Patrick's baby. I mean, it was his recipe and did all the research and kind of led the led the project there. So it's it's a really um, you know something really really proud of the team. being able to being able to do all those things innovate at the same time having you know I mean I, mean,
1: I, I like to go to breweries because I'm a jackass okay. uh, because I'm a jackass <laughs> and this is, this is, this, is a, this is the theme of what? the show this is the theme of the show because I'm a jackass I like to go to breweries and order their pilsner if they have one okay, right. okay. Um, because and, and I, I I I think I'm gonna stop doing it and I think in general and not not unequivocally <laughs> but the smaller the brewery the worse they are and and like I, I think in some sense, you guys have an advantage. Jason is, is burying his hand in his head. I'm sorry. Yeah, No, yeah, it's fine. Go so, ahead. In some ways, you guys have an advantage because with a 37-barrel brew house, I mean, and as much production and, and um, revenue and cash flow, you guys probably are able to to do some things to control the beer in a way that a smaller brew house might not be able to. Can you talk about that a little bit, Patrick?
3: Um, yeah, I would just say when we decided to commit to pilsners and lagers, we weren't going to half-ass it. Like We wanted to make sure we were... Doing it right, um, yeah. investing in we have con- conditioning tanks. I think that's the biggest part of it is giving it the proper amount of time, which is not easy. Like As I build my schedule, I can brew three ales in the time I can brew one batch of lager um, right. and take up the tanks that much for the same amount of time. But I mean, we committed from the start to saying if we're doing lagers, we're going to give them proper conditioning time. Um, we're not going to take a shortcut here or there. We wanted to, uh, to make them true to form, true to style, and true to what we want to drink also.
1: Yeah, I think that's the, and they, they are, it's, this is incredibly clean. I could drink. I mean, I'm, I'm driving it's, myself yeah. back to Indianapolis tonight, so I'm not going <laughs> to drink a you know, truck ton of that. It's yeah. amazing. So, so,
2: yeah, we also, I mean, in addition to that, we've invested in a lab, and we have a fantastic quality manager, um, Adam Covey, that has also helps. you know, check the beers. We do lots of micro-testing, uh, at lots of different steps of the process to really make sure and double check um, that nothing is starting to get out of control in any way. So that's something we started. You know, we moved to the other brewery. That was another big investment we made. Was we put a lab in. Sure. Um, we've invested in equipment um, and um, resources. We had two two, la- two guys in the lab that also make sure that you know within brewing and the brewing operations and the cellar and packaging, we're double triple checking to make sure everything's right.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So, and, and you guys. This was when you guys started. Like, was this thirty-seven barrels here at the beginning? Yes. So this has been thirty-seven barrels from from the get-go. Yes, that's yeah. amazing.
2: And now neither Patrick and I weren't here in We're ninety-eight, right. but uh, I don't think the uh, kettle was original. Uh, that might have been a different kettle. Or am I getting that right? I was yeah. going to say vice versa. Oh, I was sorry. The, 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 the mash kettle was
3: replaced. I think the kettle was the
2: original. Yeah, one, original kettle. Yeah, I got that backwards.
3: Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've both been with Upland since twenty twelve. So yeah. there was. Uh,
4: yeah, I think what's interesting, interesting starting in 98.
1: 98, eight's like before everything is like blowing up everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. so so there's some interesting stuff there. Now, I mean, I feel like in nineteen ninety eight no one's no one's probably like, yeah, you know what a good business model is to start a two barrel brew house, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 make money. So I think that's it's really interesting that, you know, at that point like if you if <laughs> if you guys were gonna do this today or, or if you had advice for like a some like a homebrew, a lot of our audience are brewers who wanted to start a brewery and they think, Okay, I can just I'm going to have two to five barrels and I can sell the beer over the bar and I don't have to worry about distributors or losing money that mm-hmm. way. Like, I mean, what's your advice to someone who's like, yeah, let's let's do it smaller? Or do you think, hey, this distro is fun?
2: Right. Um, that's a really loaded question.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm excited to start brewing on a seven-barrel brew house that we're serving in-house. And I think if I were to, it's even better starting it with, uh, with Upland. Mm-hmm. But I think that's enticing to me is, yeah, like we have, our one retail channels, and we have two, seven barrels. Is I think not too big, not too small. That's right in that sweet spot of room for experimentation, but you're not brewing every day just to fill a keg. Like we'll have some capacity coming out of there.
2: Yeah, I think the if you look at the growth in the industry, and, you, and uh, we're 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 seven thousand plus breweries now, right? And we're growth is happening. Uh the regional breweries, you know, we're in that category. Right. Uh we're, you know, north of fifteen thousand barrels, distributing maybe outside of your home state or neighboring states. You know, for us we're kind of nationwide now in certain markets, but mm-hmm. the major large majority, ninety ninety plus percent is Indiana, um, Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio areas. Um, that's where everybody's really struggling. It's getting very, very competitive and packaging beer uh, once you move into kind of higher speed packaging with bottling and cans, you know there's a lot of complexity, and there's uh, then you get into getting to grocery stores, and so there's there's a lot more infrastructure and a lot more uh, overhead and a lot of things that you really do need to be prepared for and we will capitalize for. So um, the model that is growing really really well right now is the tap rooms. Right. So brewing on site, selling on site. Uh, it's a good business model. There's good profitability there, And too. you guys are leveraging some of that. Yeah, yeah. We, and we, we started that. Yeah, we we started a satellite location in uh, 2009 with our, our little uh, uh, tap room in Broad Ripple. Which so, is amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. I went there a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's a it lot different. It used to be much tinier, <laughs> but, but just as amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a lot, a lot different now than it was in 2009. Uh, but we really just opened that up to sell growlers. Right. You know, let's uh, open this up. We can sell more growlers. Really, just a couple people. And that worked out really, really well. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just it really depends. if You're starting up, and um, uh, what seems to be working, um, it, it seems that the, the small small model seems to be working. Um, but you know, we're we're fortunate. We are we are growing uh, as a regional brewery. Um, some, but but the, the landscape is just so
1: much more competitive now. Right. Well, I think uh, I think what's what what's what's true. Now, people yeah. have often like share with me, they think, "Oh, the craft beer bubble is going to burst" or whatever, and I'm <laughs> like, Well, I mean, I think that region that, that like that super, that like nano model mm-hmm. there's nowhere near bursting almost anybody can open up a brewery and sell beer in the neighborhood yeah. and make a reasonable living but I think this bigger like what you guys are doing you have to have good beer it's not going to work
2: yeah yeah so investing in quality like I was mentioning about the lab like you just if, if you want to start out and get out into wholesale you know my advice would be to invest in your lab invest in quality invest in um, kind of you know, some good equipment good good right. materials you know we really spend a lot of time with raw material sourcing and make sure we get really great stuff coming in the door. Um, uh, But yeah, that's kind of a, with with the number of amazing beers out now, I mean, there's so many good beers and so many good brewers. Um, you really do have to be you, you. You have to be flawless. Like you really have to have great beer.
1: So spe- speaking of getting ingredients in the door, we notice uh, we, we notice you guys have some decorative hops growing at your uh, at your other production brewery. Yes, yeah. they're, very decorative. Not, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> are yeah. yeah we are not <laughs> using those hops in, uh, <laughs> in our. Beer. Uh, they're
0: very they're very pretty. You should just you know drop one in. Yeah, they right. might yeah, say, right. maybe, maybe they should make their way up to Fountain Square. Um, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. But
1: but uh, ha- have you guys uh, you, with thirty seven barrels? I imagine it might be difficult to do this. But have you played around with some of the, like the like the, the local Indiana malts or things like that or do you guys really need to go yeah
3: I was gonna get into that with fountain square too where that's gonna open up opportunities but we already use as much as we can um, on the on the core side um, sugar creek malt is making great products out of uh, Lebanon Indiana mm-hmm. uh, we use some of their pre-prohibition malt in our pre-prohibition pilsner Sweet. so uh, every batch of champagne velvet has some local Indiana malt in there um, the hop farms themselves uh, we do a wet hop tar harvest ale every year so um uh, early August, we'll be going up to Indy High Binds, uh in Indianapolis, just south of 465, and picking some hops and then putting them right into our hop back to brew uh, within 24 hours of the harvest and um, showcase local hops there. Um, and we've used uh, Sugar Creek Malt for several other beers along the way, both on the sour side and the clean side. And um, the 7 barrel system will just open up so many more possibilities for hops, uh, malt, honey, anything... Uh, Oh, honey, uh, um, oh. and even on the sour side, a lot of uh, local uh, fruits and farms too: pawpaws, persimmons, yeah.
2: uh, raspberries, mm-hmm. grapes. We use right. actually yeah. quite a, a few different varieties of grapes from Oliver Winery, which are really beautiful. Um, three different kinds of, well, more than that. But uh, each year we're releasing at least three different kinds of beers using uh, grapes from right up the road. All right, that's fantastic. Yeah. So.
1: Well, we're going to. I want to talk a little, I have a, a question for you for after the break. We're going to take a, a real quick break now, but I'll give you a kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. teaser. One of the things that, that, that I feel like I've No, you're f- not going
0: to give him a teaser. You're just going to ask him the question.
1: That's how this always goes. Let me give you a teaser. Here's the question. Damn it, Jason. Damn <laughs> it. <laughs> so uh, after, after the break, we'll come back and I'll have you guys talk about the, the restaurant aspect. And I know you guys are in charge of the brewing, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty rare from my perspective to, to go to a place and get good beer and good food at the same place. And I think you guys do that really well. So we'll mm-hmm. talk about that just after the break. Well, damn it, Jason! Welcome back to the show, Jason. Jason lives to make my life difficult. I, I'm just gonna edit that out. Yeah, I, okay. I always say that I'm never gonna do it. Yeah. So let's talk about. Well, I don't wanna, we want to talk mostly about beer, but let's talk a little bit about food. So you guys serve amazing food at all the locations that I, that I've been to. Um, so is, is that completely a separate operation, or or how did you guys come to be kind of excellent at both things?
2: Yeah, d- we definitely operate a little bit separately, um, and it's something that you know I think it's part of our ethos to a large part you know we take a lot of uh, pride in in the artisanship of our beer and it's same same thing with the food and we've got some really amazing and talented chefs um, we source locally so sure. i do not even i couldn't even tell you all the local farmers that we utilize uh, um, but um, yeah that's just something that you know we believe you know creating uh, remarkable beer and and also having a really remarkable experience when you come to all of our locations and you can't i i i believe you can't you know, have a great experience at our pub or restaurants if you don't have amazing food as well. Right. And so, um so yeah, that's always been kind of part of our culture from the start. And then as we as we've added other locations, we've kept that going. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of a part of our values. It's it's a uh, it's definitely something that as we open Fountain Square, we'll continue on. Um, each of our locations, actually, we give. The chefs uh, similar to our brewers like freedom to get creative um they do some of their each menu isn't exactly the same there's sure. gonna be a couple of things that are similar across locations uh but there's all kinds of creativity going on they, we have a side trail burgers where right. they could just you know each week it's something different um and then just completely different menu items um so that's what's uh, so it definitely is um something we we love to do
1: nice well i think that's a. Uh does, do you ever have a chef comes up to you and ask you for a flavor so he can so he can pair it, or they, they stay out of the brewing?
2: You no, know, I mean we've really been trying to foster that more and more. Um, we love doing beer dinners. Um, so each year with the uh, at the wood shop we do a like a five course uh, um, as we call it our secret barrel society dinner where um, we work very closely with our our chef here in Bloomington. It mm-hmm. um, takes weeks and weeks of preparation of pairing different foods with different plates and different foods with different beers. And, um, so, and on our menus too, and, and, and with our staff training, you know, whenever we develop a new beer, um, what we do internally is we, we have a beer description. Um, here's what the story behind the beer, here's all the different flavors in the beer, and here's all the great foods that it should be paired with. And so, you know, for us, the experience is, is enhanced with a really great food pairing, um, especially on the sour uh, beer side. I think that there's some really amazing things you can do with sour beer. Um, so that's, uh. I don't know if i answered your question yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I mean, absolutely that's, yeah yeah that's uh that's really something we love to do
1: yeah i think I, I think in my experience and i think maybe again i go to a lot of uh, a lot of small brewers and i think it's just hard to do both things well mm. but i think when you're as big as, as Upland is, maybe you have the luxury of, of having the staff and having you, you know your brewers not the chef and <laughs> things like that so
2: yeah i mean local local from fresh um from scratch as yeah. well so you know there's hardly anything we buy that is just straight up brought in and uh, there's maybe one item or two items, but everything else from our sauces to our dressings to everything is all, all made in house. Nice. Nice.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's switch gears just a little bit. I, uh, uh, for our listeners who aren't, uh, from the great state of, of Indiana, they, they don't, they maybe don't know that Bloomington, Indiana is in the heart of Indiana Hoosier, Hoosiers country. They don't know that this is a college town. Uh, can you talk about, uh, Brewing beer in a college town and how that the, that affects the role. Have you brought it? Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, I think the – I love doing it. I love uh, part of the, being part of the IU community. Um, I think the most rewarding part is when we travel and sell our beer uh, outside of Indiana. We can go to Washington, D.C., and there's a huge IU alumni contingent, and they associate Upland with their college experience. So it's like instant friendship. Like They, they have a connection to the brand, um, and it just helps us uh, – grow in these um outside markets um i think being a being in bloomington it's um i moved here from new jersey and just going to like watch the iu basketball games and football games is a really cool experience and like um it's such a small community but the university is such a big part of it that it's a great connection i think mutually back and forth
2: yeah and the, the university brings so much to this small town mm-hmm. uh the culture um we have a really great um Uh, arts uh, culture here, arts scene. Um, We have a lot of new people coming in and out too. So, you know, every four years or every year, you've got new students, new people experiencing um, what Bloomington has to offer. And so it's just, it's a great, you know, very much what Patrick has said, I totally agree with. It's uh, being the first craft beer experience for so many people. um, We love to, it's just a, it's such a rewarding thing. It's such a fulfilling thing that, you know, you go all, all over the country, and there's IU alumni that just uh, uh, really, you know, Upland Wheat was my first ever craft beer right. kind of a thing, and so we feel pretty, pretty excited and proud about that. That you know, we're we're able to we're able to uh, be there, and uh, we have a really great uh, connection with the community here, um, and we have a lot of IU graduates that work for us, a lot of uh, uh, myself included, right? Um, and so it's it's uh, it's a, it's all good. I mean, I think. Uh, Lots bre- there's other breweries in Big Ten, um, or Big Ten, or college towns, yeah. and it's it's a great place to have a brewery.
1: Well, yeah, that's kind of an aspect that I didn't think of. But but you basically every every year you get a new crop of people to share your brand with, mm-hmm. and then those people move out and they still have an identity with your brand. And you distribute wide enough that you can still hit them, and then and, <laughs> right, then, yeah. and then grab. That's that's there aren't that's enough a
0: uh, uh, job. There aren't enough. Uh, jobs requiring an IU degree in Bloomington to keep all the IU degrees in Bloomington. So you're constantly exporting fans <laughs> of the brewery out. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's lovely.
1: Uh, so, so getting that that new the new crop of folks to come in here and drink and By new crop, we specifically mean the juniors who are now old enough to drink. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what we. That's what we mean. Yeah. Uh, is the new juniors every year. Um, can you talk about like the opportunity you guys have when people might be experiencing crap beer for the first time? And of course, there's. Some folks who might drink craft beer that might, mm-hmm. you know, come from a place. But, you know, you I'm sure you guys see a fair share of, of folks who come in drinking mostly macros and now they're going to try your beer. How how does Upland approach that drinker?
2: Yeah, so we, you know, there's a lot of breweries now starting that are highly focused or highly specialized in a, one particular style. And mm. um, we're seeing breweries that are like only doing hazy beer or they're only doing... Sour, dedicated only sour. Mm. Um, we start from the gate. We we made a pretty broad portfolio. We've made Belgian style beers, made German style beers, um, and now you know we feel pretty strong. We've got a really balanced portfolio. There's right. really not a beer style that we don't make or won't won't make. Um, Champagne Velvet is a fantastic beer to start uh, start with. It's got much more flavor. It's much more complex uh, than a macro beer. Um, but our wheat ale actually is, is a is traditionally like the crossover the first beer it's like well something that's easier to drink it's light it's very sessionable Mm. um and then you move into our ipas and then um of course our sours our double ipas and our sours are kind of the most complex and there's a lot going on there and so um not only do we we try to serve those uh, a pretty wide variety at the at the pub um we very specifically put the wood shop here and we put a, a tasting room up here so that we can uh, give a, a really nice uh, tour experience. Um, we take you through the whole brewing process um, and explain wood aging, and it's it's a it's a really great experience if you've never if you want to just learn about beer making. Uh, but the sour beer making is actually even more um, lo- different steps, and it's it's even more complex than you might think.
3: I think the food ties into that too. If your parents are in town for a basketball weekend or graduation weekend, even if you're not that 21 year old junior yet, you can be a freshman having i have a great Burger and your parents can have a mm-hmm. couple pints of beer. Well, that's right because not only and you get so ties the students, in the whole you get their family, parents, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: that's pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's take a quick break from from talking about this wonderful mm-hmm. brewery and uh, play a, a little game that we like to play called Tap on Tap. So uh, yeah, here we for, go for our listeners uh, who missed the the last episode. We changed the rules a bit uh, to make it a more fun game. We used to just it used to be all or nothing; like you had to guess the beer or it was nothing. Now you get <laughs> one, one point. It was more. The game was called How Can Aaron Embarrass Someone. I mean, I tried. I tried <laughs> to not make it that, but we, so one point for the style, one point for the brewery, and one point for the the beer name. All so right, uh, if right. you get the beer name, Indi- uh,
2: Indiana beer, right or Indiana an, brewery, yeah. So so
1: yeah. Before the show, I, I let the folks know it's, it's it's an Indiana. We're not going outside of Indiana for this one, so it's an Indiana brewery.
2: Okay, got it. Yeah. All right, there's 160 or something. Right, yeah. So yeah, I mean, It's, it's not, not ha- going to be easy. It's hey. not narrowing
1: <laughs> down too much. Okay, so we are going to, to scroll through. And uh, so uh, the first review is from Rin W. We'll uh, Rin with a W? or No, Rin. R-Y-N is, oh, okay. is uh, her name. I, I believe it's her based on the picture. All uh, right. Uh, Rin W. Hi, Rin. Yeah, hi, Rin. Uh, she had this beer at Brothers Bar and Grill. All right. Okay. Uh, a few
3: of those around the
4: state.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she uh, she says she gave it four bottle caps, so she I mean she liked it. That's a good. I mean four bottle caps on untapped. tap a good score, reasonably good. Yeah, uh, she had on draft on draft. Okay, right. uh, and it was July ninth, two thousand nineteen, and she says hoppy but light, hoppy but light. All right, so that's huh. some some reasonable information from so Rin. A woman Rin of w. few words. You can never get after the first one. It's only one on tap for you. It's, it's really impossible. Uh, yeah. She did not earn any badges for for her efforts hmm. responsible um, drinker good good hmm. for you ren yeah i might i might read you four because here's oh, one okay. that's just right. a terrible clue but i want to read it because i think it's good radio <laughs> uh scott s uh scott s had this beer um and he he had it at uh at roscoe's coffee food beer and wine okay this is, right. that's what the picture says he didn't actually say uh the location in the in the text Uh, And his review is, he gave it, he gave it, he had on draft, he gave it four bottle caps, so again, it's also, Hmm. it's it's apparently a a good beer, according to to these people. Uh, His review is just Marketing 101. Marketing 101. Yeah, I think it's a bullshit clue. Uh, (laughs) He didn't know that he was writing a clue for Tap untapped so uh, Uh. good on him. So we're going to, that doesn't count as one of your three. I just thought that was fun enough to read. That's not, that's more of a statement than a review. That's not, I don't I mean, it, it is a, it is a statement. Okay, so Luke Luke M, uh, I think is going to help you guys out. Uh, sometimes right. this is Luke oh. Luke M. Oh, uh, I actually just saw the I just saw the label and I know what beer this is. Now. He, he he earned the brewery the brewery pioneer badge. Uh, he drank it out of a can. It doesn't say where he bought it. That's a clue. Uh, it is a clue. Yeah, and he says hoppy but smooth, finished with a nice citrusy taste. Hoppy but smooth. Right,
3: it's hoppy but light. Hoppy but smooth. Citrusy finish.
1: Citrusy out of a finish. finish. A out, can. Of a, out of a can. Out uh, of a can. And then the last review is from Aaron C. This is not me. <laughs> uh, and he bought this at... Uh, the Sandy Hook Beach Catamaran uh, and it cuts off so i can't read it Sandy right. Hook Beach sure uh, something else Really uh, that surprises me Yeah uh, it's he says nice four, four bottle caps so so All the right. beer's been well reviewed he drinks Boys it in across a, the board He drinks it in a can and he says nice citrus hit perfect after doing the statue race All right mm. I don't know about it statue I don't know what the statue race is I'm guessing it's Sandy Hook New Jersey Yeah it's an Indiana beer though so i mean Indiana beer that made it to Sandy Hook, New Jersey. Ah, but oh I don't wow, know if it is. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's not a. That I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drop a hand and say that himself. that would not
0: be. That would be unusual for it to be in New okay, Jersey. Okay,
2: right, good to know.
0: All right. mm. This is an interesting choice. How, many, how there. many Indiana
1: breweries have beer in New Jersey? Not a many. Not, not that many, right? Like maybe. I don't know. Maybe, well, yeah, ma- not ma- very many. Maybe Sun King. No, no they're pretty, No, they're super regional though, right? They're really big, but super regional. Another, uh, yeah, I don't think sun games. down
3: sun. in, like, Florida. I'm not sure if they yeah, the, the East Chicago. Coast. Yeah.
1: They um, follow the sun. Right, yeah. Um, so Canned beer. So. Let, let's go. Let, let, let's focus in on style first. I think you yeah. guys have some good cl- clues on the style. So we can see if we can get one point before we start trying to dial oh, out the where the style. hell it is. Right.
3: Happy but light or happy and but smooth. smooth. Mm-hmm. Something
2: either...
1: And by the way, for the style, uh, we, we the 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 style that the brewery calls it is what we go with. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So whatever
2: the brewery, brewery classifies it as. Yeah.
1: Uh, but I, I I would take two answers for this one because I think the brewery classification is interesting. I mean, it's okay. fine. It's yeah. fine. It's just not. It's not as descriptive as I think it could be.
2: What do you think, Patrick? Pale ale. I pale ale, ale, ale. Session IPA. Session
3: IPL. Um. Yeah, it could just be a hoppy blonde or. A
4: Happy weed. Happy
3: yeah.
1: weed.
2: Um, go Hoppy pale. Uh, you
0: go with pale ale.
1: Pale ale. Yeah, That works. Right. It is a. Uh, it is. It the is po- an I've had American a, I, I pale,
4: pale ale. ale.
0: American pale. No, it's incorrect. Oh. That's no. That's what they say on the boards, at the brewery. <laughs> I swear to God, you guys are. You guys are. I'm gonna
1: go with Jason. This is. Uh, uh, if you guys. I'm g- no, you I'm guys giving ever, you the pale. It is right. in fact a pale ale. All right.
2: All right. Yeah. We got that. They, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not what it says Aaron. Look at then. the
1: can.
0: That's not what Untappd says. But but sometimes Untappd is wrong. Untapped should look at the can. It's American Pale Ale. No, it pale
1: actually it actually, actually calls can. itself
0: something different on the on the. Uh, I'm really curious what they say that it is on there. Right.
1: I mean, a, a pale ale is pretty a pretty good guess. Yeah. Well, we get a half point, I think, for that. All right, cool. American We'll America. take it. We'll oh. Take it.
0: Yeah. interesting that doesn't make any sense no that it makes it makes
1: it makes great sense i, I, I no that makes no I, I'm sense I'm gonna give you guys a hint. I picked it because of the because you guys gave me champagne velvet right to start yeah, the I show gotcha. and so I, I I picked a beer that uh would rival the difficulty of brewing champagne velvet ah, okay.
4: okay that's a hint.
1: It's a beer I like it's a yeah. beer I like, I like it a lot It's from Jason's if you guys listen to the show, which I wouldn't expect you to listen to the show uh mm. it's Jason's favorite brewery, yeah All right true it's also the one that was closest to my house besides besides upland right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's also yeah. it's very close to your house yeah so so i'll give you the style and we'll see we can go from there yeah. it's, it's a it's it's not an american pale ale it's an american pale lager all right American. Uh, so yeah, yeah so, american so you ale. were right although so for some, pulls, some reason in my in in head malt and they kept it cold for a while so gotcha, it's fine yeah.
2: gotcha. all right
1: that's i feel like that
0: beer tops their ability to lager things what I, I'm just, Maybe a, they changed it's blowing it. my mind. I'm learning so many things about right. something I mm. thought I loved.
2: Yeah, it's a good beer. So, so now we've got to guess the brewery? The brewery, yeah. Brewery. Yeah. All
1: right. So, so who in Indian, Who in Indianapolis makes a great <laughs> pale, <laughs> pale <laughs> lager? Yeah. In a can. In a can. They can it? Yeah. They yeah. can it? It's on draft every place? Right. Yeah. It's good stuff. Aaron looks
0: way too excited for the amount of. Yeah, I'm just, just really excited. Uh, I'm really excited about this hazy IPA here. that's in
1: front of me that I'm drinking. Yeah, I'm not right. really excited about it. We're gonna yeah. talk well, about well, the hazy IPA. You know, Daredevil,
2: Daredevil does a good job of loggers.
4: Right.
3: Does Daredevil
1: does a good job of a lot and, of
3: things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but cans and loggers, I go to yeah. Daredevil, but I don't know if I, they have a. I can't. I can. Mean, I can
0: give you a. Well, okay. I'm. This has nothing to do with the beer, but I do live in Irvington. So. Well, it's, so so let's, uh, let's let's the end the year. misery. We are yeah. you guys, we're giving you guys a half point for
1: the beer style. Yeah. It's American pale lager. Uh, it is uh, natural liberty uh, oh, from Blackacre. Oh ah, God. Black Black yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah.
2: It's, no, I would have never got that. There are.
1: S- that. It's an in, it's an interesting game. I mean, it's a shitty yeah. game. It's a shitty <laughs> game. It's a little <laughs> bit fun. Like yeah. it's it's a little bit fun. Uh, and then it's also also not fun. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever. Uh, it's usually, the more the more fun thing is talking about. The the stuff like no, it's really not that important if people win. If people com- if competitive people hate it because it's really not a game built for winning. Right. Yeah. Uh, Are you just? I feel like you're just making the game harder because you were so good at it. I was not that good at it.
0: We were great at it. But yeah. Because we
1: were great at it because you picked five beers for me the first time we played it to test it out. Uh huh. And I know you, and I know the beer you like, and you pick the beers you like. So that's not there you go. <laughs> That's yeah. not fucking difficult.
0: Yeah. It's very true.
1: Yeah. That's it's 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 interesting. Oh, sh- you should make all the noise you want. People are coming in and through, and every time they come through the door here at Upland, they're very polite, and, and they make a quiet look on their face, but we don't care if they interrupt us at all. Uh, it's, it's part of the ambiance. Uh, it's fantastic. So let's talk about the second beer that you guys put in, put in front of us. This yep. is, uh, it's, it's in fact part of the the haze craze, and uh, it is not crazy. In fact, it's very delicious. Yeah,
2: um, so um, Patrick mentioned earlier our side trail series, and so um, last year we started to really focus those beers on IPAs and um, I won't go into the details of the the hops and malt right now, but but just theoretically for us internally, we were all you know a couple of years ago these hazy beers are really starting to be a thing, and there was a divide in the brewery like oh no we don't want to make hazy beer like no, nah, we want clear beer and you know in, in the industry there's that's right. a topic of conversation
1: yeah it's it's, it's fun we yeah and we, when our podcast started we were against it and now we're, we're well, I'm for it but Jason yeah. is yeah so I'm for good ones
2: yeah well yeah and so uh, finally. I think, and I was on that camp of like no haze. Yeah, I have some uh, incriminating emails from a couple of years ago <laughs> yeah. of uh, our
3: initial discussions. Yeah,
2: so I was like, ah, we don't, let's not mess around with that. But we kept, we did have some we're like, man, they taste really good. Mm. Uh, we should give it a shot. And so this was our first attempt, um, and uh, I think it came out really, really great. Um, the um, the process that we used. Um, was really something that was very different for us sure. um so it was a little bit of a risk in terms of um, on our larger system we had a lot of sapco batches to kind of work through you know, exactly what yeast stream we like and, and matt, matt Wisely was kind of the, the project lead on this one sure uh, so it's his baby and um so yeah it's it's we're pretty proud of it it, it did so well that we now uh created its own kind of can it's back, on the, main, it's back it's, on the main trail yeah so we we actually sell it um it's a, no longer a side trail beer. Yeah, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's its own brand, and we do sell it kind of year-round, and we're shipping it out, and uh, it's done really well for us. And um, um, So, yeah, it's pretty delicious. Well,
1: mm-hmm. One of the things, I mean, as, a, as a home brewer, one of the things I'm always surprised at is the amount of home brewers that, that make these beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've read a little bit about making the beer, and I basically have decided that I can't do it at a homebrew <laughs> scale without spending a whole bunch of money. So yeah. can you talk about kind of the, the difficulty of brewing a beer that is cloudy but delicious.
3: Um yeah, so it has taken some uh trial and error on that little sabco system to start off with, but uh once Matt dialed it in, we've got some uh techniques we're really happy with. Um I think some of the biggest keys are the yeast strain itself. We use the 1318 London Ale strain from White okay. Yeast. Um we are dry hopping the day as we knock out into the fermenter. So, so we you,
1: So you're getting all that bio-transformation. Exactly,
3: yeah, it's all about the bio-transformation. Um, yeah, the, the, the day we knock out, uh, we'll do our first dose of dry hops, and then we'll typically add some uh, uh, three or four days later, depending on the uh, fermentation curve. Um, the hops themselves. So this is a blend of uh, El Dorado, Citra, Centennial, and Galaxy. Sure. So four hops, you really can't go wrong with, uh, and, no matter and, what. And, and but I can't um, get <laughs> exactly. That's the hardest part well, right now. Yeah as, yeah, as we're brewing more and more of this, is making sure we have the hops to
2: you brew it with. Because
1: Citra um, is the new Galaxy in terms of hard-to-find hops, right?
2: Uh, galaxy is still the new it's Galaxy. Still hard, <laughs> <but> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we really, you know, three, four years ago yeah. was when we started to put in for contracts and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, we took It wasn't a big gamble. We we put a good amount in there for stuff. It's been years, and so now we finally have yeah, we those, the hops. We, we didn't have a lot of Galaxy. We didn't have a lot of Citra like two, three years ago when we finally yeah. now have it. That's what
0: we were just talking to Great Fermentations mm-hmm. about. Uh, they lucked into having bought a lot of Galaxy Hops up front before people were using it. And then suddenly, once people started using it, they just couldn't get it anymore. So right. They just sold through it. Now, what do you do? Yeah. And it
1: was right. sort of, like for them, though, it was like a, you know, at their scale, it was like a one-time boon. Yeah. Like, right. they bought, like, a big, I forget what they said. Like, like a big thir-
0: uh, They bought it. It was like 30 cases. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, what are we going to do with That's all these? Lot.
1: All these hops, mm-hmm. and then it was just gone. They're like, and then like it sold in two two and a half days or yeah. whatever. Holy cow. yeah, they sold it really quick. So I, listen to the our last listener should listen to the last episode. They'll find out I me- I messed those numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all on recording. Thirty right, yeah. million pounds. <laughs> it was not. It was not 30, but they <laughs> bought. They bought they, it, yeah. it was a hop order that was like five or six times their typical hop order, oh, wow. and they it just oh, they, they got lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's good stuff. Yeah, and I, I think the, the interesting thing is that there's so many different ways because some people are like, oh, you can't put the hops in right away during active fermentation. You should put them in, in the middle of the fermentation. Right. You should put them in at the end. Do you guys, do you guys play around with that, or are you guys kind of always on that like hopping during fermentation game?
3: Uh, well, it's yeah, still during the lag phase, so there's still no active fermentation kicking in yet. Okay. So um, we're a little more comfortable opening up the top port and pumping okay. hops in. So it's, it's before. But so it's, so but it, it's it, cold it, side, yeah. Yeast is already pitched. It's in the fermenter. And then, um, yeah, we add hops. What? right after the wort is in there and if we're brewing two batches into the same tank we add them after the first batch of the two so we're not even done brewing for the day and there's already hops in the fermenter
1: so so, so for these beers in, in terms of getting like additional hop flavor in is there any like first wort hopping or any whirlpool hopping in addition to what you're doing
3: yep yeah, it is a there's a small amount of first wort hops which we don't do for any of our other beers and then um, yeah pretty uh as hefty a whirlpool edition as we can before we start getting some bitterness out of it. So right, it, right, right. And yeah, no boil hops, just, yeah, all no boil very hops, early, you know. very late. And then all cold, cold side.
1: And, it, and then we talked earlier about kind of, uh, having people transition into, into craft beer from maybe other beverages. Has, right. ha- has this kind of become another Avenue besides the wheat ale or the, or the uh, champagne?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I love sharing this beer with, um, people that are like oh i don't like hoppy beers and i think a lot of times what i've found is that a lot of folks associate hoppy with like bitter bitter yeah and so this is such a great one to introduce um i'll never forget my mother-in-law who doesn't drink any beer you know was, she's like i like that juice in time that's that's pretty great Cause it's very you know the yeah. fruit character from the hops and it, we talk about that a lot you know the the hoppy does not necessarily necessarily mean bitter Right. and so um, this is one that I think we have had a lot of folks give a shot give it a shot and and it's for me it, if we're at a festival where we're at it's like well I don't like hobby as well just try this one and let me know what you think and it, it's it's eye-opening for a lot of people
1: right absolutely and I think what I think it's kind of just bringing a new it, it's a, just a different dimension of the hop yeah um, yeah because I mean I, oh, gosh, you just give me a bitter old beer any day and I'm good. But I also, I I like my beers. Like I like my divorces. I also, (laughs) I also drink my, my, my coffee black. Like I'm not, Mm, the bitter flavor is, is, is good to me, but then it's nice to have a, uh, a change of, a change of pace, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're not all good. They're not all good.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, I've, uh, I know during the experimentation phase and, and um, just brewing some of these kinds of beers myself, if you go uh, too far, right with the, with the hopping or you don't add them at the right place, um, I find you get what I describe it as like a raw hop. It's like you're yeah. chomping on hops on green, and that's a yeah, green and yeah. vegetable and it's uh, it's very, um, can be astringent and just not pleasant at all. And so that's, I think where you know, I've seen some in the, that, that may struggle with that where it's just, just too much. Um, there is a, a point of diminishing returns with hops. I, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we found that, you know, more doesn't always mean better, right? Um, and, and from a sustainability standpoint, we want to be as, fe- as f- effective as we can with our hops. We don't want to waste hops. Right. I mean, um, they're expensive. They're expensive. Guys. Especially if you're putting Citroën Galaxy in there. Yeah, right? and it. a lot went into getting those hops to us, so we want to be very responsible with what the hops we're using. And I, I think this beer is a, is a great example of being able to, you, you know, you guys can, you know, give us feedback on this, but it's got a lot of, lot of character and we're not you know using seven pounds per barrel of hops for this you no know? i mean i i think
1: when, when i first tasted it I, I got the fruit wrong i'm very bad at fruit flavors in beer uh so when we're on the break it's not gonna air i asked if it, if it was supposed to taste like grapefruit it doesn't taste like grapefruit it, i feel like there's just a little like we, i drink grapefruit sparkling water all the time mm. and like the, the end of this beer has like there there the is a tropical fruit characteristic that like
0: grapefruit but oranges, then Jason said mango or papaya like and I was like, oh fuck that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. yeah. uh,
1: but it's definitely whether I mistake it as grapefruit or it's mango papaya or whatever it's definitely a fruity beer like it tastes it tastes of fruit, but it doesn't have fruit in it, so i mean that's that's I feel like that's the you're really making beer when you cannot use fruit and get fruit <laughs> it's 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 way more fun than just mm-hmm. throwing fruit in there. Uh, which can be good. I mean, there's right. good beers that do that. Yeah, we use a lot of fruit. <laughs> We're <laughs> surrounded. Other, other beers, yeah. Yeah, 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 surrounded. Not now. We use a lot of fruit. Kind of refers to your sour program. Uh, I think yeah. you guys are going to cut up some peaches later today. Yeah, Patrick. Oh, and you guys s- are
2: too. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Patrick, yeah. 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 I'm right. yeah, yeah. yeah. out of here. I you know. will cut some peaches.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll work for this. This beer. Yeah. You're a peach, uh, Patrick. On your side, <laughs> do you guys use any fruit?
3: Uh, we do. Yeah. So. Um, we have a series of beers, our Tart series, which is our Kettle Sour uh, beers. We have three in rotation throughout the year. Uh, the first one, Petal to the Kettle, features strawberry in addition to rose petal and hibiscus. Ooh, uh, nice. The one we're brewing now for the summer, two of Tarts, is a Goza with passion fruit and mango. Uh, that one won a gold at GABF last year in the Goza category. Uh, then we finish off the year with a uh, apricot uh, Kettle Sour uh, with lactose called modern tart so that's interesting so the things you
1: guys are souring without bugs are on the clean side yes so So our
3: our tart series that comes in 12 ounce cans is from our clean facility um kettle sours all boiled in the kettle to avoid the cross-contamination uh down the line with other beers but um, those do come out of the clean facility
1: sweet that's interesting but it makes sense sense because it's a different it's a different method to get to to get you to the exactly yeah to the the sour yeah. yeah
2: Yeah, so on the in that brewery, we're using a couple of different fruits. Um, fruits come in a little bit different form. Um, right. They're more purees and they're clean. They're, they're aseptic. Over here at the woodshop, we will use whole fruits.
1: Right, there are uh, literally boxes of peaches over there. Yeah, right. so
2: yeah. with the skins, everything, and, and there's lots of uh, yeast, wild yeast, bacteria, mm-hmm. things like that that are coming in on the skins. Uh, we wouldn't, we don't typically try to use whole uh, fruits like that in our clean beers there's a lot of risk right with uh, infection right. and that sort of thing but it, it, uh, the whole fruits make beautiful sour beer right. um it really adds complexity and um so really it's it, it kind of elevates the base beer um when you add whole fruits
1: yeah you, you keep uh so so we're doing two episodes today for our, for our listeners at home so in two weeks you can hear us talk more about the sour program so instead of me asking all the sour program <laughs> questions that just <laughs> popped into my head uh, i think yeah. we'll take a break and ask jason's off the wall question all
4: right
0: you guys ready for this I guess so. yeah. da 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 da. No, no jock jams.
1: No jock jams today. <laughs>
0: okay, so metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Things by which we measure. Uh, the names of the measurements, like an inch, is a kind of metric. A centimeter is a kind of metric. An ohm, a Plato.
1: Jason is a nerd. You guys should know <laughs> this. Yeah. You're, in good so, com- you're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. So someone he, he calls me a nerd, like everything, shows.
4: <laughs> nerd.
0: So, someone, uh, a friend of mine, brought up the other day that there's no metric, there's no standard unit of measuring cool. Like, uh-huh. if you were to measure the fawns versus me, like, how much of something is the fawns more than I am, right? Mm-hmm. There's no metric. So, if you were to name, and you know, you can name it after yourself if you want, but <laughs> if you were to choose the name for the metric by which cool is measured, what would you name that
4: metric? Right.
3: It wouldn't be after us. No, (laughs) definitely definitely not. Um, Is it after Eli? Is it Eli the cool one? Eli Trinkles
2: are pretty cool. (laughs) Well, you mentioned Fonzes would be kind of interesting. Like number of Fonzes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do like the. uh, uh, That's twelve Fonzes right there. (laughs) 12 God.
2: I don't know. We had a we had a, f- a fun method. It's not exactly the same about coolness, mm-hmm. but we were trying to develop a new method of carbonation level. Uh, we were calling them carbies. Like how many carbies? Uh, one of our brewers thought up that as as our, our, our own kind of novel, un- unique metric. Yeah. Um, so we're we're all we're on the same nerd nerd uh, length, I guess, yeah. or wavelength. So
1: length. in terms of in terms of carbies, this is a fun. <laughs> this is a fun. Like, hey, there's a whole bunch of tap handles over there. Like beer geek question. Um, are there different levels of carbies in those beers, or, or are those <laughs> consistent because of logistical reasons?
2: No, there's different levels. Uh, oh. So, you know, we, we will carbonate um, our sour beers uh, much higher. Um, a lot of those are naturally carbonated, too.
3: All the yes. clean beers will be forced carbonated. Right. So yeah. there's ways of measuring when a naturally carbonated beer is ready. And yeah. you, guys,
1: you guys stop it synthetically?
3: Uh, no,
2: but um, yeah, <laughs> but, we, but, we, but we make sure it's re- ready for release before it's okay. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So for our bottle condition stuff, yeah. yeah but so even the, in the even in kegs, even in kegs, even kegs right. we have different levels. So um, champagne velvet, for example, is a different carbonation level than our IPA. So you guys have like a shit ton of
1: regulators back there. Yes, like behind your bar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, what's interesting? You guys, you guys distribute. So you guys have beer. You have your kegs in all, all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. how well are you able to enforce your carbonation levels when you put a beer in a bar?
2: It's um, a good question. Uh, it's that's challenging. Yeah. Remember, you know, because some of them over the world, some yeah. of them just have
1: oh, all of them. Yeah. So I guess <laughs> some of them just have like they're like ah, it's twelve psi. Lucky
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they entered the keg at the consistent carbonation level, yeah. but the pressures they're served at is yeah, yeah. tough it's for us to monitor. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That's the uh, I
4: w-
0: I will say the metric that he presented me for cool was the Bowie. And it, Bowie. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a growing, like, you couldn't Bowie to infinity. It was one Bowie <laughs> is the maximum amount of cool, and you were at some percentage of one whole
1: Bowie. Ah. So you were sub-Bowie. So you couldn't give 110% of your Bowie. <laughs> you're, always,
0: you're always sub-Bowie. Right. Sub-Bowie.
1: <sighs> what is, what? hold on, it's, something is Bowie, like... Yes, oh, David Bowie. Oh, so Bowie is Bowie. Oh, sorry, well, so okay. Bowie, is Bowie. <laughs> Nothing
0: is
2: Bowie now.
1: Right. I've made this, I've made this sad.
2: Yeah. That's no, Nothing is Bowie now. It's a good beer name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, yeah.
1: yeah you guys, we, we, like our favorite thing is if you name beers based on things we talk yeah. about on the podcast. That's, that's fantastic. Nothing is Bowie now. Yeah. We, uh, we I we should start with Bowie
3: is Bowie and then the follow-up. <laughs> <Yeah. was laughs> nothing, nothing is, is Bowie. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is... <laughs> we, had, we had a whole series right now. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to keep
1: these. <laughs> <you> Trademark <laughs> these right away. <laughs> you, yeah. you name beers for a living or what do <laughs> right. you do? Like <laughs>
2: Uh, we don't need to talk about naming beers. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole other podcast. Yeah,
1: we uh we actually did name one beer as uh, Plato's Gravity. They, yeah. they, it was a it was a it was, a, it was a, we interviewed the folks at Crasian Brewing, which is a small brewery in Brookston. Oh, okay. Um and uh they had a rye beer in the tank and uh they have a rickshaw as like their logo so we 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 suggested they call it Rickshaw Ride. Actually, sure. we is uh Adam, our faithful listener and friend who listens to everything before it goes out. Oh, cool. So Rickshaw Ride is uh named on Plato's Gravity. That's nice. very cool. Yeah. Pretty pretty proud moment. We don't yeah. expect you to name the Bowie beer, but <laughs> if you do, that's, that's, we'll talk about it on oh a podcast, yeah. Yeah. and, we'll, and we'll, we'll buy some. Uh, yeah. We'll drink some. For oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, I, don't know what's, I don't know. What style Bowie? Yeah. Bowie is Bowie. Yeah.
0: It's it did
1: uh, genre-defying. Aaron right. is, it's the yeah. answer. Genre de, genre-defining. So so in terms of uh, uh, fun, we were kind of coming up on time, but I have a couple kind of quick like college towny questions yeah. again. Like, um, because you guys have folks kind of moving in and out, is it hard for you guys to keep to keep talent here, like are your are you do you have brewers work from IU or are your brewers mostly people who have been here for a while? Uh,
3: we've had some pretty steady uh, uh, staffing. Uh, most of us have been there for five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, our core of brewers. Um, there's always some turnover uh, throughout the brewery, but um, it's been pretty steady and not necessarily from IU either. A lot of us are transplants here. Where okay. um, Upland might have brought us to Bloomington, but yeah, we've been We've stayed here both for Upland and for Bloomington itself. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and one of the things that we've kind of been surprised about both when we're interviewing home brewers and kind of inter- uh, engaging with that community and then also kind of watching the the professional brewers uh, in and around Indianapolis where we're from uh, kind of interact is how connected those places are. Can you talk about, like, uh, how how Upland fits into the kind of the beer scene in the state?
3: Absolutely, yeah. And starting with Bloomington specifically, uh, there's uh, – uh, five breweries in town here and we're all remarkably close um always texting each other sharing ingredients we collaborate once a year on a five-way collaboration with everybody um and then yeah throughout the state we just did a collab with um off square up in crown point okay just released this week Mm -hmm. so it's brand new for us um and i think fountain square really opened up opportunities to uh collaborate in the indianapolis community a lot more but um but yeah, we always, we love our, our Bloomington neighbors here, and uh, we always love traveling around the state and hanging out with the other brewers also.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really a fun industry. I think in lots of other industries, people who are, are selling the same product are just kind of, you know, not nice to one another. Or right, or yeah. Super competitive, yeah. But, but the crappier industry doesn't seem like that way at all. I think it's really, you guys have a common enemy. <laughs> yeah,
2: and it, I think that um, as a whole group of all 7,000 breweries that that's come c- continues to come up. Even when we have the large, uh, craft brewers conference. Yeah. And so you're starting to see, yeah, the one common enemy or, you know, the, the there's ma- three of them or something. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's some of, some of that going on, but there's also, um, you know, our goal is to continue to keep the spirit alive of, you know, small independent brewers. Right. And there's so, there are so many wonderful people that work in this industry, um, and there's still so much good. I mean, we start to see a little bit of ugliness. There's acquisitions, and you know, there's lots of hate going on. But you know, it, we're not we're not about getting all upset about that stuff. It, there's still so much great, uh, so much great camaraderie between breweries. That um, that's why I'm still in the industry, and I still love it. Um, and it's what what drew me into it, and what's going to keep me here is just the um, the support. I mean, and you know, we open our doors to other breweries. We show them what we do. We show them what we've learned. We've made a lot of mistakes over a lot of years. Um, and everyone's still kind of learning, that, you know. New England IPA, you know, who knows what the next, you know, new style is going to be. I
1: believe it involves uh, alpha amylase. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's. I think that's what's made craft beer successful, is uh, brewers being willing to share what they've done and how they've made it. You know, the only re- I shouldn't say the only reason, but a big reason why we were able to make this beer juiced is uh, learning from other brewers right. and reading from what other brewers have. You know uh written papers about or they've shared their knowledge you know the master brewers association is a great vehicle for that um so um that is and i'm kind of yeah. going off on a tangent here but that's something I, I love talking about because i think it's it's so important uh, to me that we we collaborate and build community within the brewing within brewers and uh, we're always open to sharing what we do because we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do what we do if we didn't learn from somebody else, right? And I think
1: yeah. I, I think you know when you are open to kind of helping other people, it, it you might it might seem counterintuitive to some people, but I think in general if you do that, it just always brings things back to you that you, you can't expect.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: absolutely. I, I think uh, we're gonna uh, we're super grateful to. Uh, to upland for letting us come up here today uh so thanks uh to pete and to, and to patrick you're never thankful for me jason we've gone over this sweetheart i'm darling i'm thanking them on behalf of you it's whatever uh <laughs> but not only are we recording one about the clean side here we're gonna do another episode with pete so we're gonna get pete for uh, an extended run today also we're gonna have uh eli uh to do this the sour side uh i want to encourage our listeners if you uh you can get upland beer pretty much uh in, in a lot of different places so most of our listeners will be able to get some upland beer you should definitely try out uh some of their beer uh you probably can definitely get some dragonfly or some weed ale even from outside of the state of indiana but if you're ever in indiana uh their tap rooms are amazing not only can you get some of patrick's amazing staples and drink this champagne velvet uh but their sour offering is expansive and amazing and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks so we will see you guys then i want to uh thank you again uh patrick and and uh Patrick and Pete. Uh, yeah. Listeners don't know that I looked at the wrong person when I said Patrick. That <laughs> uh, was good stuff. Thanks again, uh, uh, Pete and Patrick, uh, for coming to the show. Thanks to our listeners. Um, if you guys want to learn more about Upland Brewing, you can look for the information about their brewery in the shows We will have their their uh, Instagram, you guys have Instagram or shit. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, 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 they have so all the social things. Well, all into the, yeah, all the social left. things. Oh, we'll, we'll throw up some some location specific yeah. social things. We'll uh, throw link. up
0: every location that we went to today right, yeah. on yeah, our journey through yeah. upland. We got to see a hop farm. It was fantastic. Like it was. <laughs> it was a good day.
1: We will show. We will we will throw the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you for all of you to. Uh, to i I'm doing terrible. It was very good. Thank it was very you good to, all, thank of you the to listeners. all of our listeners for listening to the show. You can we find will, us at. You can find us at. Yeah, thank you, Jason. You can <laughs> find us at platosgravity.com uh, or you can find us on all the socials at Plato'sGravity. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, but we never check it, so don't actually go there. So yeah, it's a waste go there time. and
0: then go somewhere else immediately. Facebook will destroy you.
1: We will be next back back next week with uh, another interview. Uh, in the meantime, drink. Less beer than me. Brew some beer and have some fun.
3: Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot.